Hey, what's up, sinners and choosers? Welcome to another episode of Choose Your Own Religion. My name is Joe, your ever-discerning voyager through the muck and morass of whatever we call spirituality. My guest today is Nima Karazzi, who I'm very excited to have on. We had a great episode. And Nima hosts the Breaker Broken show, which is how I originally met him. He's one of the producers of that show here in Los Angeles. And it's a show all about sharing our heartbreak, which almost everybody has some version of that. There's even something heartbreaking about it if you don't have a heartbreak. Uh, arguably, that's more heartbreaking. Uh, anyway, talking about heartbreak certainly feels like it's in my wheelhouse. And I had a great time doing his show. He found out I had a thing about religion. We got talking, found out he had this crazy background. And and then he did my show. And he had a, a great story about religion. And it was even more relevant than usual for what we talk about this show. And is even especially relevant for this show because in his story he talks about uh, his own journey from being raised an atheist to changing into a Buddhist vegetarian just to try to get a woman and then turning Muslim for another woman. And now he's back to being an atheist, but not an anti-theist and is pretty pro-religious people doing their thing, which I think is a perfectly beautiful and acceptable stance. Now, the reason I just had to describe that instead of playing it for you is that I messed up the audio recording and I tried to salvage it, but it honestly would have been more annoying. So I apologize for that. But if you want to hear more live shows and uh, hear them in person and so you don't have to rely on my recording at all, we have a new one every month, first Sunday of every month. The next one, if you listen on this the day it comes out, it's on October 7th at 6.30. The next one after that will be November 4th at 6.30 in the clubhouse in Los Feliz. You can always find the next event on the Facebook page. But anyway, uh, Nima's on the episode today, and we talk a lot about my discernment process. Uh, as some of you know, I'm in the middle of discerning my call to seminary, and discernment is the word people use for just figuring shit out. And in the middle of this episode, you could hear me back and forth between Presbyterianism, Unitarian Universalism. Well, I can say since then that I really have felt more and more at home as a Unitarian Universalist minister. And ironically, it's through getting in touch with my own Christianity that has made me realize that I'll be able to more effectively teach and preach Jesus indirectly as a Unitarian Universalist than I personally and specifically would. Because Unitarian Universalism allows me to be authentic. I don't know how much you know about Unitarian Universalism. Most of you don't. Most of you maybe heard like, oh, they're kind of weirdos or maybe they're atheists or whatever. And there are atheist Unitarians. There also are Christian Unitarian Universalists. I'm not going to try to explain all of it to you because I'm still very new to this religion myself. Um, but essentially, Unitarian Universalism doesn't require you to believe anything. They're one of the few religions that it doesn't matter what your orthodoxy is, what your beliefs are, but what matters is your orthopraxy, what you do with that. And so while we don't have a shared belief, we do have shared principles that basically boil down to, to loving your neighbor and acting on it. And maybe even more in a nutshell, what does a Unitarian Universalist congregation look like? Sometimes their church services can feel very similar to Christian church services. But the difference is, again, because you don't have to believe anything as a Unitarian, they're basically communities of people who are on their own individual spiritual path. And basically okay with everybody else being on their own personal search for truth and meaning by drawing from whatever religions they want or no religions they want. Um, so if you listen to this podcast, you'll understand why that makes a lot of sense uh, for me. So that has been a more recent development than when we last recorded this episode. And it feels exciting to say, 
that being said, I'm still picking my seminary. I don't know exactly which school I'm going to go to to learn how to be a minister. And that is very much up in the air. And and honestly, I felt a little bit more pressure and eyeballs on me as I start to apply, as I know there's more and more people who are professional pastors and professional decision makers uh, that will be listening to this podcast. And we know from quantum physics that things that are observed change. But I'm really trying not to make this change that much. I'm really trying to stay authentic and honest and personal and real because to me, if nothing else, that is my ministry is um, being as honest and authentic as I can. And I believe me, I'm not always that try my best, but I know that's what makes me fulfilled when I am and can be. So that's my commitment to you guys. Another thing I would like to reiterate, um, and I kind of brush over it in this episode, but you know, I have a lot of strong theological opinions already, and I'm not even in seminary yet. And I basically just want to make sure everyone's on the same page with me, knowing that I am constantly learning, and often there's something I don't know about that will inform and change my opinion. And there's also references to things that maybe I get them slightly wrong or other aspects, but that's part of why I'm going to seminary. But no matter where I am, I really hope that throughout the course of my ministry, I always want to be a learner, and I don't want to ever stop doing that. And I don't want to be stop being a discerner. I am fine with maybe not saying that word uh, a million times like I have been uh, recently. But anyway, I had a great time talking to Nima. Could have talked to him even longer. And if you like this episode, you can find more on chooseyourownreligion.com. You can scroll through it on your app. If you want to go to the live show, find it on the Facebook page. Leave a rating or review for the show somewhere if you like it. Tell a friend. Tell a lover. Tell a one-night stand. You're not going to see them again anyway, right? Spread the word. And other than that, thank you for being who you are. Here's Nima Karazzi. Allow the soothing music and uplifting affirmations to center your heart and mind in an awareness of God's love. Wake up, my dear sinners. Wake up from your deep rest. Won't you say your prayers Know that you are blessed I love you Oh, but Jesus loves you the best And I hope that you choose Your own religion Life without love Is like a tree without blossoms Well, Gandhi said it Gandhi said that? Yeah Life without love is like a tree without blossoms. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds about right. That's pretty cool, right? Yeah. I mean, that's certainly, uh, you know, I'm used to the the whole Paul language, uh, Apostle Paul language of I am if without love, I'm just a noisy gong or whatever, <laughs> that type of thing. A little bit more jarring. Yeah, it's in the Bible. Yeah. Oh. So it's like, you know, I mean, it's actually a part of a longer, more beautiful passage that uh, I can't remember all of right now, but that's the essential <laughs> part. See, this is why I'm going to seminary. Right. Uh, I just need to be able to quote the entire thing and not just like, oh yeah, I remember the, the gong thing. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that beautiful? Yeah. That's awesome. Um, but anyway, that was profound. <laughs> Wait, did you, um, Gandhi Hindu? Yeah. Not really, whether that, that was never your cup of tea. That wasn't my thing. No. I mean, I But everybody, Gandhi's like everybody's thing. Yeah. <laughs> Who's anti-Gandhi? Well, the, I don't the know. The British people. Yeah. Oh, sure. <laughs> There's a couple of Pockies out there that are... Right. Well, like 50s <laughs> British colonialism was pretty anti-Gandhi for, for a while there. Um, but you did... So I, I was just uh, re-listening to your story uh, that you, uh, you told on my show, which yeah. uh, was great. 
and uh that was a really fun show yeah so you were it was just what was interesting to me was how we've all like you're just talking about how you change yourself for uh women <laughs> various times <laughs> and which i think almost all of us have <laughs> at right. some point um which um now we, I, i'm curious too because when i well I'll, I'll, i won't interject my i won't make it leading i'll ask you <laughs> when you when you were like you, know, you, you have like a hot muslim woman right yeah Be- beautiful muslim woman right uh or um a really cool was this she like a was the the Buddhist, the vegetarian, she like a hippie type chick. Yeah. Yeah. When they're asking you or when you're like doing it to be, to fit their mold in your head, are you like, how much of it was like genuine? Like, Oh, I like there was like a genuine malleability versus you were like, I can just kind of, I'll just be something for them and kind of put on some airs. And then maybe you start kind of believing it over time. (laughs) I'm not saying I'm not an airs guy. I'm an, I'm an all in guy. All right. So as soon as the girl was like, I only date vegetarians and I'm a vegetarian, I was like, I, I need to go home and contemplate whether I can be one or not. And yeah, I yeah. just convinced myself like animals have souls, obviously, and you mm-hmm. shouldn't eat a thing with a soul because mm-hmm. it's going to go to heaven and then you're going to see each other and it's going to be really awkward. Right. So I shouldn't do that. And mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. okay, so I could convince myself to be a Buddhist. Well, well, convince myself to be a vegetarian and then find a religion that, that suits that mold. And the only one that worked was Buddhism. Really? No, yeah. then the other ones really, I guess, because there's so much animal sacrifice in a lot of them. <laughs> I mean, yeah. there's like slight dietary restrictions with like Judaism and Islam. Oh, right, sure, sure. Even like Old Testament in, in Christianity. But right, right. There's there's nothing that's like, don't eat animals. And like all of them are like, eat them and eat them on these days. Right. You're meant to eat them. <laughs> right. Like it's, uh, God provided them for you to name and then eat. Right. Yeah. Which, <laughs> uh, that almost sounds like, you know, that was their version of changing for a woman for the, the hot woman <laughs> was the food they wanted to eat. Right. They're like, well, you know, God probably want us, wants us to eat this. So <laughs> that makes sense. He wouldn't, he wouldn't have made them so tasty if he didn't want us to eat. <laughs> right. Right. I do. I mean, do you, that's you're not still a vegetarian, right? No, no, that was only four years. Right. <laughs> that's all. Sp- I, I served my time. Right, it was like you're uh, you're stint in the military. Yeah, just yeah. To, yeah. I did my four years. I'm out. Uh, I the, I have recently gone pescatarian. Uh, okay. Which, do you eat chicken as well or just no, fish? Pure fish. In fact, some people are saying like have tried to uh, get me over to the dark side of eggs, and I will say oh, I have yeah. like uh, I have had uh, an egg burrito one time when i was in dire need of something and all like the only thing that was like available was an egg burrito yeah. and i'm like i have to have something sustenance and a uh, man cannot live on bread alone uh <laughs> but uh no i'm i'm, I'm pure pescatarian it actually ends up to mo- usually being mostly vegetarian right. just because i get tired of eating fish a lot you know no but pe- i mean shrimp is included isn't yeah, it? yeah well i include it so, you, so <laughs> i think it's included but seafood, I, I definitely include it right seafood seafood yeah but not bottom dwellers uh well shrimp are certainly not far from the bottom i mean you know i mean uh, crab yeah i include crab but isn't that in the bible i don't know this is i'm not doing it for a biblical reason man i'm just saying if you were to cut out like literally like shrimp and and crab 
and lobster. Yeah, I'm not cutting those out. But if you did, you could stay kosher too. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Uh, luckily, I am extremely not Jewish, uh, as you can right. tell. Based, <laughs> but uh, I, I, it's for me. It was about health reasons. I do feel a lot better. I will say. Yeah. And it's not even like, and it's. I wish I could say it was more of a moral reason. Uh, although that's just like the nice convenient thing I could say. Uh, like, Oh, you know, I'm, I'm not contributing to mass uh, violence of cow. <laughs> you know, I'm not, but that probably should be my reasoning. Um, but I just, I do feel better. My energy is higher. Um, I want your that. spiritual energy or your physical energy? Physical energy, which I would say relates to my spiritual energy, but I usually don't think in those terms. Yeah. Uh, but my physical energy is higher. Uh, I do think, it's it's not even like a, something super about fish per se. I think it's just I have the most unhealthy options taken off the table for me. <laughs> like when I go to it's it's demotivating to eat fast food when you have to get the fillet of fish. Absolutely. Every yeah. time. Yeah, yeah, you're totally right. Yeah. Um but you 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 gave up vegetarian. You're done. Yeah, I uh it's really interesting cuz I was I was a vegetarian for 4 years and like a militant vegetarian. So mm-hmm. like if if people were eating meat, I would like stop them and be like, dude, you, you don't understand this. Uh, this cow had a face. Let me show you a picture <laughs> right. of a beautiful cow and look at how they, they murder them. You would have intervened <clears throat> with me right now. Yeah. I would have, yeah. I interviewed with, I was a terrible person. <laughs> so I mean, I was in high school, you know, that's kind of like when you learn a thing and then you're oh, like, right. Hey everyone gather around. I'm like, I am now Jesus. I am going right. to teach you all, <laughs> yeah. you know, knock over tables and broccoli and is the way, the truth and the life. Right. right. You know, for the longest time, I thought that was light. Uh, the way, the I am truth the, and the truth, light. the way and the light. I mean, cause I thought it was a light in the darkness to guide us. That's pretty good though. Maybe he should have like used that sometimes. <laughs> Would have been pretty charming. <laughs> I mean, it's. I would say it's pretty analogous to a light. I think if you would have said that, there'd be a lot more Jesus night lights right now, like in <laughs> that bed, is true. kids' bedrooms. That is true. I've actually. There's a lot of uh, my favorite band is the band uh, Fish Ph. No relation to the Pescatarian thing, uh, <laughs> but I uh, I've I mess up. A, I've there's so many of their songs that their lyrics I just realize way late that I had them wrong the entire time. <laughs> Uh, one of them being like a line that says, you've got your nice shades on, but I, for the longest time I thought it was night shades. Oh yeah, that makes sense. Like night shades, you know, (laughs) like you're cool. Like you're like, I'm in the dark night of a soul, but I'm putting on my shades (laughs) and I'm going to choose to keep saying night shades, uh, forever. (laughs) Um, but you were the militant vegetarian. Nobody liked you. <laughs> yeah, nobody liked me. And I, and so yeah, so I would like conform, but I would have I would have to convince myself, otherwise I wouldn't be able to do it. Sure. So there was that was a, a difficult one because there was no relation. Nobody in my family was a vegetarian. Nobody gave a shit about vegetarians mm-hmm. back in like '94. There wasn't like a whole big movement. Mm-hmm. It wasn't as readily available as, as everything is now. Mm-hmm. So I did that for four years and I gained a bunch of weight because I was just eating like grilled cheese sandwiches all day. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. All the uh, <clears throat> all the cheese you could want. Right. And I do want a lot of cheese. <laughs> <laughs> Who doesn't? Yeah. And uh, so then after like four years of that and, and it not getting me anywhere and me just kind of being over it, I had like another talk with myself and I was like, you know what? Maybe animals don't have souls. Maybe I misspoke four years ago. So, I I think wow. I think they might not. So let's the go heel with, turn. Let's go with not, 
And then I like fl- I drove to San Francisco and I had like a hot dog and I bought a leather jacket and I got <laughs> so sick. I was probably the sickest I've ever been eating anything in my Whoa. life because it was like four years of not eating pork and now you have the worst possible yeah, version of pork. Like just, <laughs> just like just it's terrible. Like, Aren't hot dogs like ground up bones and shit? I don't even know, man. It's like everything they couldn't sell you in any other package. Right. Yeah. Like they they like fry the ears and sell that and the hot dogs are like no ears. No. <laughs> That's too good for us. <laughs> I one of my college roommates would uh he was he's like it's hard to describe him other than like we would describe him as the most normal like cliche like classic american guy like wore a baseball hat literally every day uh just drank light beer like he just kind of like he didn't like get into political arguments with people he just loved sports uh he's a great guy love the guy uh but he would eat hot dogs like every single day and we're like and we're like oh yeah that's and we would as we're describing him we'd be like you know like like a normal guy he would just eat hot dogs for lunch like that's not normal to eat hot dogs every day that's weird man well, we're, it's we're not meant to be eating hot dogs every day. We're also meant to be we're not meant to be eating like ribeyes every day either. Also true. Like cholesterolically, that's probably wrong. Yeah, three different ways. But uh, I mean, just with regards to your health, you're not supposed to eat that amount of that type of food. Mm-hmm. But you know, we <laughs> thankfully it's expensive to buy steaks, so <laughs> right. most people tend to stay away from that. Right. Yeah. Um, so, okay. So anyway, we got, got a little off track, uh, but that's all, that's fine. That's what the show is all about getting off track, uh, and then getting on track or just never getting on track. Uh, so you you dropped that belief. I just, there's a, there's an interesting theme here, a very malleable beliefs. Yeah. I mean, I've changed my beliefs a lot in my life, but that's weird to me that you could, <laughs> your dad's a a minister right presbyterian minister you right. you've said before that your mother is more religious than your father <laughs> yeah this is, I mean, that's a joke yeah I mean, it's somewhat I mean, jokingly i'm sure yeah but. they're both pretty religious but yeah so you were raised in a very presbyterian house yeah 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 and somehow you ended up an atheist yes i mean yeah brief i guess recap of my like my journey for people because i haven't talked about it on air for a while but like yeah presbyterians uh all growing up i was super active and involved and like i mean a i had to go but like (laughs) b like i i did as a like a high schooler i started to take more like youth leadership ish type positions and like worked at uh like summer camps and conference centers and stuff and uh got a lot out of it i was very like like this place uh in the mountains uh called Massanetta in virginia that i would i was like in f- when i was f- my summers after my sophomore junior and senior year uh we were there's like 18 of us high school leaders that for like two weeks we would lead two different middle school conferences so it's high schoolers leading middle schoolers uh you know in addition to like other adults kind of making sure the high schoolers didn't say anything too crazy uh but like that living in that kind of little mini community of like the 14 of us and like we're like leading songs and we're like doing silly games and like you know, trying our hand at spiritual leadership. I will say it was like some of the, mo- it was like a utopia. It was like, Oh my God, I w- we could, we should always live this way like forever. Right. Uh, and then it is weird to come down from that and be like, Oh, and then I have to go back into the normal reality. And I don't, I'm not saying that was what led to it at all, but like, I think I, I honestly, and you know, I, 
Presbyterians are pretty liberal and pretty you know, educated and don't take a hard line stance on the Bible. They think the Bible is uh, like the authority and like ultimate authority. Uh, scripture is, but also that we can interpret it a lot of different ways. So a lot of a, parables and yeah, there's a lot. Of, it's constant. Our understanding of it is constantly changing and evolving, and God is working through modern times as well as through scripture. So there's like it's not it's not uh, perfect, inerrant, as they say. Right. Uh, so there is some wiggle room for being. They're also like pro science and stuff, you know. So all that good, all that good shit. <laughs> uh, but that being said, I think. I still wasn't really taught a lot about how the Bible was constructed and how it was like, um, you know, put together like that Moses didn't probably didn't write or even one person probably didn't write most of the Bible where it was actually like there's something called the documentary hypothesis. See, I learned a lot of stuff in undergrad, Yeah, which I'm just, as I'm like find feeling my way out through what seminary I want to go to, I'm starting to like relearn. Um, but you know, the, the Bible was constructed politically, right? So, like, there was four... Genesis alone has... Academics think there were, like, four competing documents that, like, made it together. It's called the Documentary Hypothesis. Okay. Sorry if I'm bored. No, no, you. not at all. Okay. Uh, but, but... And so... And they, they each had their own competing perspective. I can't remember all the perspectives, but let's say, for example, one was, like, oh, uh, Jews are the chosen people. But the other one was, like, oh, the end is near. You know, they had these different, like... <laughs> or beliefs on who God was. Right. Um, and then they kind of got all mixed and meshed together over time. Cause people like, like, Oh, I kind of like this part of that, but actually I like this part. That's why there's some really weird and confused. Like if you are to read the, try to read the Bible, literally, it's very confusing and self-contradictory. Cause you're like, I did this. Now, what does God mean when he says they, they have made us in <laughs> our image. Like, what is he talking about? And it's, most likely a reference to like ancient uh, Mediterranean, like old, uh, different, completely different religions all together, like folk religion, yeah. just in the region. Uh, so anyway, I was as I was learning about all this at in college uh, under Dr. Bar Ehrman at UNC Chapel Hill, uh, it was just occurring to me that I had only believed in the Bible because it was just what I was raised in. Right, and I was like, I can't own this shit like i don't don't have like a i don't i only believe it by pure blind luck and if i apply my reason to it (laughs) then it's not i can't say that like if i were to just walk into a a church off the street with little knowledge i'd be like what are you guys talking about right you know um and so now whether that was right or wrong uh i just i just felt like i it was not intellectually honest. Um, and not this, I mean, my parents are both very smart, the most loving, kind, sweet people you could possibly imagine. Way, <laughs> like way, way nicer than I, <laughs> but, uh, I don't know how they may be. Uh, but I, I guess I just, yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't keep up with that. And so then I, I you know, the natural reaction along with some probably like classic, like, uh, what do you call it? Oedipal or like, you know, Joseph Campbell, like hero's journey stuff mm-hmm. where you're like, I got to hate my father for a while right, type right. stuff. Uh, I just, I, I went away from all of it. And then I was kind of agnostic for a while being like, I don't know about <laughs> God or whatever. And then uh, somewhere 
right after college year year two after college and then especially coming out here i got more and more into eastern like i somebody recommended me to read an alan watts book i don't know if you've read any read any I alan watts not. alan watts is a fantastic uh, author highly recommend he kind of like he was he was originally episcopalian priest who uh brought who ended up studying zen and uh he was kind of like a mix of uh you know spiritual leader slash academic slash philosopher he called himself like a philosophical entertainer uh <laughs> he was like this british guy that moved to california in the 60s and basically explained zen and explained uh hinduism and other eastern religions to and Taoism, uh to western audiences kind of this is like the first time a lot of people even heard about anything eastern uh and so and his lectures are all on youtube they're he has an amazing speaking voice he's so charming to listen to uh his books are great and th- then through there i kind of got into more and more uh eastern stuff and now and then i've realized i gave my entire spiel uh, no no but uh the, somewhere somewhere during all that um i just i i think i just started as i because i had zero contact with the east because you know christians are like pretty into interfaith stuff as yeah. long as long certain christians are not all christians are obviously quite obviously <laughs> uh but presbyterians are into interfaith stuff and a lot of christian liberal christians are too but it's almost like as long as it's like you know the judeo christian like the abrahamic right the abrahamic ones like <laughs> jews and muslims well we're the same god so we're pretty alike but i don't know what the buddhists are doing i don't know what the hindu like it's too confusing what is going on like they're still there's so many gods. What am I even doing? The funny thing is, even when you get past Islam, so once you get past the Muslim faith and you start getting into like the Baha'i faith. Right. Or if right. you go before and you go to the Zoroastrian faith. Ooh, what's Zoroastrian? Zoroastrianism is like before Judaism. It was like the first monotheistic religion, although Jews will argue that they were first. Uh-huh. But that's like, this is a terrible way to describe it. But do you know the Citadel outlets? Mm-mm. out here okay well there's like these like <laughs> b- bird looking human st- okay. th- features on this building and they believed in like one god whose name was like ahura mazda like the car <laughs> okay and this god like was very like uh earth based and mm-hmm. they worshiped fire mm-hmm. and they don't bury their dead they like leave them out so that th- the animals can eat them and then they can go back into nature and the way that christianity is so influenced by paganism mm-hmm. because the christians wanted to invite the pagans into right. their religion so they were like hey you guys worship the um the evergreen during winter time because it's the mm-hmm, only shit that's mm-hmm. alive. <laughs> Guess what, guys? We have a Christmas tree. Yeah. You guys worship fire? <laughs> Guess what, dude? We put candles on our Christmas tree. Right. That's like fire. You guys like it now, right? Right, right. So Zoroastrianism had all of these fundamentals that then like Persian history was like, you know what? We're going to take that and we're going to make it the Persian culture and then kind of mix that with the Muslims and then now you guys can have like this shit that you can worship and it's kind of like the same so it's fine it's like when when your parents get divorced and your dad marries a a lady named joan and your mom's name is june (laughs) right right (laughs) um yeah so i yeah i I, uh christians are definitely more that that stuff is like all yeah they're like (laughs) intense like what i don't i don't i don't need to know about that uh but that's kind of how i i felt i almost felt 
I, it's not that I was explicitly sheltered from Buddhism or Hinduism. It's just like, you're just like, it's so weird and out there. I don't know. Yeah. But once I started learning more about, especially, um, kind of Zen and, um, contemplating on, you know, concepts like emptiness or concepts of like, like how God can be manifest and is manifesting itself, himself, herself, uh, us <laughs> <laughs> through all these different cultures and religions. And then that's when I started kind of tying back, thinking back more about my Christianity. And, um, I, I mean, now I'm like, I'm, I'm, I mean, I guess I think I'm now I am a Christian as well as a Buddhist, as well as like a bunch of other stuff now. And because I see <laughs> what I see is like the commonality and Presbyterians don't talk about the Holy spirit very much as far as the Trinity goes. It's right. a lot of God and father or God <laughs> and son talk, you know, father, you know, you know what I'm saying? Father, son. Uh, but for whatever reason, Holy spirit's kind of like, uh, you know, and there's a spirit <laughs> <laughs> it's in us and stuff. Um, but I, it just occurred to me that like, I think that Holy spirit is the thing itself that is moving through all these different religions. Yeah. It's that common mystical element. It's the reason that like, you know, Rumi is able to make sense to somebody like, uh, you know, Thomas Merton, who's a, he was a Episcopalian uh, monk or Catholic monk, whatever. One of those two, um, who studied Zen himself. And then, you know, there's like, there's so much, there really is a common thread there to be discovered and now i think christ was teaching basically radical inclusivity based on some of these shared principles of letting go of attachment of realizing that there is no real difference between you and i that we are all from the same source energy which is pretty similar to buddhism very similar to buddhism right so yeah that's kind of where i'm at now and so now that's why i'm i'm currently in the process of figuring out am i going to be a presbyterian minister or am i going to be a unitarian minister i will i will say two things one if i were you i wouldn't ask anybody's advice this <laughs> is a personal mm-hmm. path that you are on for yourself mm-hmm. and your relationship with god or gods mm-hmm. or energy or whatever it it <laughs> <laughs> and that's it's it's fundamentally yours um, that being said, let me give you my two. <laughs> I think 100% you should be a Unitarian mm-hmm. minister. And the reason is this. You will reach more people. You, Joe Quint, mm-hmm. will reach more people as a Unitarian minister. And you will be able, because of your history, because of your delving into different religions and researching different religions, that you will not be hung up on this mentality of there is only one way right when i was younger my parents used to take me to i mean my sister and i we all went on a trip to santa barbara and we would stay at the red line hotel which doesn't exist there anymore and i my parents just kind of let us free just go and walk and come back and be here at this time and you have a watch and that's cool And I was a very friendly child and I'm a very friendly adult. (laughs) 
uh, <clears throat> so there were these hippies that would just hang out in Santa Barbara in like the late eighties, early nineties. And they would just like hang out and smoke dope and just kind of like play with their hand drums and, and kick it. And I started hanging out with them like two, three days in a clip for a couple years. And these guys would teach me things like God is like a mountain and he's at the very top of this mountain. And there's all these different paths mm-hmm, mm-hmm. to get there. And some paths are easier in the beginning and they're harder at the top. Some people switch paths halfway. Mm-hmm, some people go mm-hmm. halfway up, go all the way back down and take another path. They do a helicopter ride up. Some and- <laughs> people don't even take that path and they just see him and they're cool with that. They don't need to go touch him. They try to skydive onto it. <laughs> totally miss the, the peak and <laughs> have to climb up anyway. So they end up on another mountain. Right. It's embarrassing. Right. And like all of these different ways of like looking at God or like if God, if you were to talk to a five-year-old, would you say to the five-year-old, if you, if you were asking them if they wanted something to eat, would you go, would you care for some dinner or would you like get on one knee and make (laughs) eye contact with them and say, are you hungry? Hmm. Like you would, you talk to them on their level Mm -hmm. in their voice Mm -hmm. so that they understand you. Right. Right. So if God has to be, everything for everyone Mm -hmm. it can't be one uniform message because that won't reach everybody right the same right so instead it has to be maybe it's buddha for asia Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. maybe it's islam for the middle east right right and then christianity and judaism for the west right and well it it certainly played out that way has to be right these these different things and every now and again there's pockets of like there's jews in iran and there's like there's Muslims in, in Africa and there's, you know, these different like little areas that are like, oh, that's interesting. I didn't realize that that could, that could be a thing, but there's so many different, different variations of the definition of God, how God approaches people, how he speaks to them, what the messages mean, the interpretations of all the different books and how they all have like the best example I ever heard was someone was like this Irish dude and he's like where are you from and I said Iran and he's like what do they eat in Iran and I said rice and uh beef and chicken and he goes why and I go well that's what grows out there he goes in Ireland we eat potatoes and we eat mutton sheep and like these vegetables because that's what grows in Ireland and my diet my food fully nourishes me and sustains me and your food does that for you right right i can't tell you your food's wrong you can't tell me my food's wrong right as long as it fits that food pyramid with the necessities of grain and dairy and meat Mm -hmm, and all that mm -hmm. as long as you're getting all the proteins and and all the the attributes that the base is all the same Mm -hmm. so don't if you look at religion in the same light and say all the base of the religions are the same. Don't lie. Don't cheat. Don't steal. Don't kill. Don't fuck your neighbor's wife. Don't <laughs> right. covet their car. These are all tr- true across the board. Right. When you don't have that, then you're in an unhealthy diet. Mm-hmm. The only problem I have with that example is that as an atheist, there is no example of like, and sometimes you just don't eat for your whole life. <laughs> right. <laughs> that, that doesn't work. 
Right. Well, I think what I when when I was an atheist and what I, you know, Sam Harris's my, his book on waking called Waking Up um, is a book about atheist spirituality, uh, and for him it's all about um i mean and he is he has lots of buddhism because i mean arguably yeah. buddhist is buddhism is compatible with atheism in a lot of ways um but in his whole one of his things his description of spirituality i thought to be very apt which was it is whatever reminds you that the feeling we call i is an illusion and it's all about ego disillusionment. Yeah. It's all about remembering that, oh, this is just a movie. This is just like, this isn't real on a fundamental, there's a, on a fundamentally this conversation, you know, thing we're, there's, there's a lot of elements happening. There's a lot of manifestations of ego. And when you, when you, and it feels real, it feels like a game that we were, we're so invested into our own, the, we've spent our whole lives building up our own self image right. and we kind of need it to interact in the world. Uh, you know, as long as we're human beings, we're going to have an ego. It's a natural, normal thing, but, uh, putting it, spirituality is the process of being able to kind of put it in perspective, meaning when you investigate the ego, and this is going to go counterintuitive to people who believe in stuff like souls, uh, (laughs) which is, you know, I mean, maybe souls are real. I don't know. But like when you, and maybe the soul is different than the ego, maybe both are real. Maybe you can't have a soul and also the ego is not. A real thing because when you investigate the ego you say who is the person watching like when you when you watch yourself watching yourself you realize oh i've there's nothing you know what i'm saying it's yeah. like, it's a, it's like a hall of mirrors in a lot of right. ways um and that can really trip people out but other times it can make you appreciate and put your own per- struggles in perspective and put your i mean it, it totally opens up as his followers of Harry Snow, it totally opens up a whole new avenue of um, approaching morality from a way that you don't need religion from a from a neutral humanistic perspective. Okay. Anyway, all that being said, so there is something there for you. This is for atheism. That's all I was trying right, to say. Right. There is there is a way to eat. Uh, maybe I don't know what what the analogy is in terms of maybe there, yeah. There isn't one dietary wise. Like it's not like because you have to have a healthy diet too. You right. can't just be like oh I eat candy all day. Because that, if that doesn't conform to that, then you, then you're in a very unhealthy diet and a very unhealthy religion. Well, it's important as much as we all love analogies. We have, you know, analogies are only as useful. You know, to some degree, <laughs> right. it's just an analogy. Right, <laughs> an analogy's exactly. not real either. Uh, now, I want to go back to. Um, I hear what you're saying as far as like being a Unitarian, because there's a natural pull for me there. I think there is a natural fit in a lot of ways, and a lot of ways, I think it would be easier and be a more natural place for me currently um now having said i'll tell you let me let me just for devil's advocate sure the, i'll argue for you know the devil of christianity uh in this scenario i'm just kidding right you know no, no you. Part. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh now from what i've come to come back and the more i've i've started thinking about it and kind of re actually giving christian theology another fair shot and fair chance right. and kind of reading at it with fresh eyes. This is the first time I've been reading the Christian theology in like a decade and actually being like willing to like hear it out, <laughs> you know, besides just always looking for holes in it. So that that's kind of, I'm coming for that place <laughs> currently. And part of it is if we remove, there are some, there are some things that with me where it's like God is needing to view God as 
a guy in the sky, a father figure. I'm not compatible with that. But the idea that there is a there's some kind of greater energy field that Christ was a uniquely for his time and place, especially, but in the world in general was a unique manifestation of that energy to the point where he was so tapped into ultimate reality that his teachings were just so, so radically include, like I said, radically inclusive for their time and for all time, right. They will always be applicable. Right. What he was saying. Um, and it's through that it's through believing in that believing in his teachings and believing you know i i struggle with i i definitely don't um i don't i don't say i currently i don't know if i can fully believe in the resurrection story currently you know it's what about your, the other miracles the other miracles see to me it's like it, it's all about putting the bible in perspective too and like the idea of like whether miracles happened or not is not the point of whether they happened. It's the point of what message they were teaching. Correct. Right. I totally agree. So yes, that definitely, there's a lot of ways that that fits in easier with the Unitarians because the Unitarians could be like, yeah, that sounds all great. <laughs> uh, but I also know there's a lot of Christian, there's a lot of Presbyterian ministers who would agree with me too. You know? Yeah. I mean, if you look at the whole Bible as a parable, or as a book of parables, right? And then it's all for interpretation's sake and for life lessons' sake. Then, if if that is your Presbyterian quote unquote mm-hmm. view of the Bible, then you're golden. Yeah, I mean, it's it's as far as like I don't I don't personally need to believe in any miracles happening to believe that the phenomenon known as Jesus was itself miraculous, right? I'm not saying it was per- specifically like virgin birth and things like that. Yeah. Maybe, maybe not. Uh, I currently don't know. <laughs> but uh, the idea that somebody, that a, a Jew born in, you yeah. know, 2,000 years ago who was not a tradition, he was a trained rabbi in some ways, but it was... He, he that he would something that somebody could arise from those circumstances and preach what he preached and just totally turn the world upside down that's a miraculous event to me um and so in context of that or in light of that and in light of the the community now there's the community has also obviously done a lot of bad things historically that's no obvious maybe sure. the, maybe the mo- one of the most destructive forces i mean no one's without their own faults sure the big three have had hands in many destructive things. right i would say violence was going to work through whatever system right that it, <laughs> you allow it <laughs> that, it, or yeah, that you yeah. deny it right the right. violence is going to happen it did happen regardless you right. know just as like enlightenment happened in lots of different systems too and that's yeah. what i'm saying as far as like the holy spirit and as we we're talking about and these different paths to the top of the mountain of God God mountain, uh, you know, manifesting themselves in different cultures and, and our foods being fed with different diets, et cetera. In the same way, that's how violence is going to, it's clearly manifesting itself throughout all of history. But why maybe I am arguably suited for Presbyterianism. And I'm not saying I am, maybe I am a Unitarian after all, (laughs) but is that, that is my food I grew up with. I know how to cook yeah. that food. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And instead of trying to be a chef 
of all religion, of like all foods, yeah. trying to cook with everything. I'm like, you know what? Let me just nail a good casserole. You know, I get that. So, and maybe, maybe in order to better, ch- I mean, it's hard. It's really, I think there's not really any way for me to know. And this is what is why I'm in the midst of what they call a discernment process. <laughs> there's not really any way for me to know what's going to serve the world better. Is it better for me to serve the world by being like, all right, I'm explicitly like interfaith. I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm all these things and I'm going to tell everybody I'll I'll give equal playing time to everybody (laughs) as as I talk to everybody or am I going to be can I be more effective by working within the culture that I know and grew up in and trying to change those hearts and minds in the dominant Presbyterianism I mean it's it's a small slice of the overall Christian pie but if we can shift and evolve Christianity along with our modern times, maybe that can't make it easier for everybody and a little more breathing room. And maybe Presbyter- the, the whole agree. concept of Christianity can then open up in itself to be more, not just giving like, you know, token uh, tolerance to other religions, yeah. but being like, Oh yeah. Like I can, you can cut. I mean, this is the tough part. This is the tough part that, like, you know, future uh, seminaries and stuff would be listening back to me, like, yeah, you can't be a Christian, man. <laughs> because they would say the only way to God is through Christ. Right. Uh, through Christ alone. Um, and I don't, I don't know if I, that's the thing I struggle with. I don't know if that's true. So I, I will say this I said that you would reach more people as a Unitarian minister, but you will reach a larger portion of Christians and change their minds or open their minds more than you will by any stretch for Unitarians. Right. Right. You are, I don't mean this in a bad way. I just don't know how else to say <laughs> it. Yeah. Yeah. Got it. And yeah. I love the fact that I can just say this. I'm ready. You. you are not unique as a Unitarian. Right. You would be very unique. Right. As a Presbyterian minister. Right. Because Unitarians minister standing up there and going, hey, man, I was raised Presbyterian, but I just kind of accept everybody. And they're like, yeah, and? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, dude. And everyone else in this room and everyone outside and everyone at home. We're all the, we're all the exact same. You just have a degree. Right. But when you go into the, the Presbyterian church and go... I accept all of you. And they're like, yeah, duh. And you're like, and everybody else. And they're like, oh, you mean Jews and Muslims? And you're like, and atheists and Buddhists and, you know, Baha'i and this and that. And they're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. And all of a sudden now Mm -hmm. you can open their hearts and minds way more. Sure. Because that's a unique thing. Well, that's, that's, that's one of the things. Yeah. That's one of the things I'm, I'm kind of, kind of working with. And I will say, Again, Presbyterians are very good at being tolerant and building relationships with people yeah. um, of other religions and like working with them and not being evangelical in general. Sure. Um, being pretty easy to get along with. Uh, <laughs> and, but what I, I think there needs to be maybe more work on that maybe this could be a part of my, I think it's definitely going to be a part of my ministry, regardless of denomination, is building stronger relationships with the religious ideas themselves. And cause that's the, that's the really, the really tough part. I see that what makes a lot of what I'm saying totally heretical, uh, is that, <laughs> is that they, is this idea that J- Jesus is the only way to really know God. Correct. Um, 
I could even get more on board with the idea that maybe Jesus is even arguably the best way. I could maybe get... I could okay. maybe even kind of come around to that. That's a new one. I haven't heard that one before. Like, maybe it's not the only way. I mean, it's like having an opinion on the best band of all time, <laughs> you know? Just like, but I'm, a, you know, I'm a huge Fish and Grateful Dead fan. And if you asked me, I'd say, yeah, Fish is the best way to know God through music. I would, I would definitely argue Jesus is the easiest way to be saved. Between those top three... Mm-hmm. For, to be a Jew, you have to do so much, and to be a Muslim, you have to know so much and sacrifice so mm-hmm. much. And to be a Christian, you just have to say some words and <laughs> believe in Jesus, and you're golden. Well, see, here's the interesting thing: is about <laughs> about the message of Jesus, who he, what he taught in his lifetime, right? He didn't teach. I mean, granted, the Bible says things like "You need to believe in me, follow me," but again, correct, written politically lots of different motives for and then they're writing it after the fact they're trying to like sell people on christianity basically right. as they're writing it we don't know if he what he literally said at the time well nobody will ever know i mean 300 years after the fact that he died was when it was finally written down because un- until then it was all well story. there was the the earliest gospel was written 35 years after the fact oh, okay uh and then there were a couple the four main gospels were written in like a hundred from like 35 years to 100 years after. But it's still a long time, That's a, an, by the way. insane amount of time. Now, oral tradition was totally different back then. Like, they were better. They had a little bit more fidelity. <laughs> I mean, they, they were better at oral They had less social media distracting them, so I they mean, were really good at describing things. Well, they were. I mean, there was like a more serious... <laughs> I mean, yes, jokingly, but like also for real, like they there was a more intense and intense... Uh, like when people would tell stories about like trying to remember it exactly as people said, and I'm not saying the things didn't yeah. change over time. Of course they did. But, and it, it, as my uh, professor in college described it, you know, it, it'd be like if somebody, and this is now a 10 year old metaphor, but like, so it's even worse than this. But he's like, imagine if no, you had known nothing about Watergate. And then the first book about Watergate was written today. Yeah. Would they get everything right? Not even close. Would they get all the exact phrases down or would they try to capture the general <laughs> ideas, right? I mean, all, almost everybody who was involved in that is dead except for Woodward. <laughs> right. <laughs> right, exactly. Uh, now, anyway, my whole point being... Yeah. And I've, I've gotten this from Richard Rohr, who is a fantastic uh, Catholic um, theologian and thinker and he, he's in his lectures on the Sermon on the Mount and talking about the who Jesus was and what he taught. Bring it out to food, by the way. Yeah. It was a radical inclusivity that for Jesus to invite people to eat, to eat with anybody, because that was going into somebody's home. That's inviting, not it's either going to somebody's home or being inviting people as guests, people that were considered, you know, there's a huge caste system right. back then. There's, we, we have our own subtle class systems to this day, <laughs> but like, you know, the idea of like, you know, there being scribes, like religious scholars type people and Pharisees. And then there's also, you know, the prostitutes, the tax collectors who were like Roman people that nobody <laughs> liked, you know, and he's saying everybody's welcome. Right. He's not saying, I mean, he's not <clears> saying, <throat> well, uh, did you, did you do this today? Did you do that today? <laughs> did you do, are you from the, I mean, the, the whole story of the good Samaritan, it's all about having an, about there, you know what? People of all faiths can be great people. In fact, people of other faiths are often better than you exactly. in terms of actually preaching and actually witnessing love. Yeah. So I do think, I do think Jesus, I think there's, there could be a case to be made. He might be the quote unquote best way, the most easiest way the his, his teachings collectively sum up what it means to live in a social world 
and how to structure a community in a way that is pro-love and positive and I'm not saying it's impossible through other religions at all, by the way. I mean, I should hope I shouldn't have to give that caveat of anybody. But um, I really come to appreciate the way, even if their beliefs might be kind of hateful. Yeah. The, the, with internal to the community, Christian communities can often be very loving and very built on the, I mean, they're built on the concept that, you know, love your neighbor, love each other as you, you know, love one another yourself. I mean, they, I think like everybody, they, people need rem- to be reminded of that yes. all the time. And lately, it's gotten to a point, I've seen on social media people posting like the Pledge of Allegiance and then saying like, atheists are offended by the under God, so you should post this to offend as many atheists as you can. <laughs> right. First of all, Jesus wouldn't be on facebook second of all (laughs) if he was he'd deny your post and and not share it and third of all no atheists give two shits about your post and it's not (laughs) offending anybody right it's just a matter of if if you tell me you're a christian Mm -hmm. i go oh man good for you and they go, what are you? And I go, I'm an atheist. And they're like, oh, dude, that's the worst thing. <laughs> no one asked No one asked your opinion. Nobody asked right, you a, a right. thing about what's going on. And people are so concerned now about potentially losing this freedom that they, they mm-hmm. feel like might be taken away from them. Mm. In, in uh, relationship to your earlier thing about the storytelling and and people were better storytellers people were people were better storytellers 20 years ago (laughs) not not just when after christ but like there's like in the 90s i mean my yeah my when we used to go to weddings in the 90s when you came home and someone didn't go to the wedding they'd go how was the wedding and you would describe the centerpiece Mm-hmm. And you'd go, oh, it was, you know, this many flowers and this kind of the plates mm-hmm. or like the mm-hmm. forks. You would describe every, her dress had this and the kid. <laughs> and you're paying attention to everything. And then the dance was the, and, the, and now they go, how was the wedding? Psh, man, look me up on Instagram. I post Yeah, just check out my photos. Yeah, yeah, it's all up there, man. Hashtag, you know, Joe and Frank get hitched. Because you probably didn't remember a lot of it because <clears> you're <throat> so busy taking pictures. At the it's the silliest <laughs> yeah. thing. And we're losing that. My mom, every time. We bring up, um, if someone, if my mom tells you to get something, like if she's like, Joe, do me a favor, go in the garage and get me uh, a, a head of broccoli from the fridge. Because we're Middle Eastern, we have a, an extra fridge in the garage. Mm-hmm. So you go in the garage and you bring out cauliflower because you thought she said cauliflower. Mm-hmm. And you give it to my mom. My mom will, every single time anyone does this, my mom goes, I asked for broccoli. You brought me cauliflower. I told you. And within 10 seconds, you misunderstood what I said. And you brought me something different. Mm-hmm. How can we trust the Bible? If they told, if they wrote right. it down so many years after. Right. If within 15 seconds you forgot. And they're 50 years they're writing it. Forget it. Right. So she, you know, the, the the Muslims are just like, oh, Muhammad wrote everything immediately. Right. The Muslims are huge on, from what I understand, <laughs> on like the literal, it, the Quran as written yes. is perfect. Right. <laughs> and there is a passage, and I wish I would have written it down to 
to not only be able to a read it to you but also be able to give you the site so that if your listeners wanted to look it up they can it's because it's a very awkward thing to google but uh there was there is one passage in the quran that says if your wife is not listening to you like not doing what you want her to Mm -hmm. first uh tell her tell her that she needs to listen to you if she still doesn't then ignore her give her the cold shoulder and if she still doesn't listen to you after that hit her (laughs) and it says strike her the word is you know to hit now i'm i have friends who are muslim my grandfather is muslim Mm mm-hmm and I told my my Arabic friends who read Arabic, and the the Quran is written in Arabic, so it's not like it was it was in Aramaic, and then it was translated to Greek, no. and then Italian, and then mm-hmm. no, 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 it's Pure this Arab. is original. Right. There's all these different interpretations and everything, and there, none of them knew about this passage. And I tell them, what does this mean? And they, oh my God, yeah, I didn't even know this was in here. I told my grandfather, he's ninety years old. I said, Grandpa, what is this? He goes, there's no passage like that. I go, here, it's here. And I take out the Quran and I show him, here on this page, read this. What does that say? And he reads it and he goes, no, that's what it says. And I was like, could it mean something different? He goes, no, it says hit. It means hit. Now, do I think my 90-year-old grandfather is going to start hitting my grandma after she stops listening to him twice? Of course not. That's silly. Mm -hmm. But they do, generally speaking, take it at its face value. Mm -hmm. So it is what the prophet wrote and right. and there are islamic leaders specifically in shiite islam that interpret the quran even though it's literal mm-hmm. so they would they will interpret that to say hit her means like push her aside and they can do that mm-hmm. and the the ayatollah khomeini who was in uh iran uh in 1979 was when he came in mm-hmm. he was the the supreme ayatollah which i always joke is like a regular ayatollah except it has <laughs> sour cream yeah <laughs> so that he was like the pope of shiites mm-hmm. and he was able to interpret anything and everything he wanted to right so and then his word was you couldn't because it was like literally like god muhammad him and then the rest of us just like god jesus the pope and then the cardinals <laughs> right right so yeah, and, but you um, now you didn't grow up Muslim. No, you grew up nothing. I grew up nothing, so there was nothing to rebel against. Mm-hmm. So it was just right. my dad was like, "Yeah, we don't believe in anything." And I wasn't gonna be like, "Watch this, I'm gonna be everything." <laughs> yeah, but I went to like church with my friends, and I went to Mormon church, and I went to Jewish synagogues and and Muslim uh, um, mosques and. Uh, it wasn't until later when I got into Buddhism that I started going there, but every every place I went, everybody was so nice and friendly, mm-hmm. and it all kind of started making sense. So if everybody here is nice, mm-hmm. and then I go to Santa Barbara and I talk to those hippies, and they're like, dude, it's the mountain. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Everybody's at the base of this mountain walking up, and they're taking their own paths, and I'm like, this makes so much sense. Mm-hmm. So everybody is saved, and then you start having that question that everybody starts having: is what about people who never hear about the word of God? What about these tribes in the Amazon, and what about these people who are 
only raised a specific thing and are never taught anything else. And then mm-hmm. usually the response is, well, God knows what's in their heart and, and God will accept them as who they are. <clears throat> so that's, what about babies? Babies are just automatically in. There's no cover charge. They can just get <laughs> great. So all of this is like, it's all starting to make sense. Yeah. And then you start questioning it. And there's a very interesting thing that happens, in, I think, with kids, and specifically with Christianity. Do you have kids listening to this podcast? No, I don't think so. If there are kids listening to this podcast, you should probably flash forward about 30 to 45 seconds. <laughs> They're also, I think they would have probably gotten bored by now. <laughs> right. <laughs> so I feel like when you're a child, you were brought up believing in Santa Claus. Mm-hmm. So was I. Mm-hmm. And then at some point, your parents had to tell you there's no Santa Claus. Right. And there's no Easter bunny and there's no tooth fairy. Right. We, our first, your first, one of your first memories of a child and one of your first lessons is, oh, everybody will lie to me to make me feel better. Right. <laughs> they take all of that away from you. And then the only thing they keep, they leave you with is Jesus. Mm. There's all this mysticism. There's a bunny that hides eggs. Right. He's right. fake. There's a lady that has wings and gives you money for your tooth. <laughs> She's also fake. There's a dude who comes on your chimney with reindeer and he he leaves you presents. He's also fake. Mm-hmm. But then this other dude who like healed the blind and fixed the crippled and made water into wine and gave you bread and he saved your soul forever and there's heaven with clouds and harps. Mm-hmm. That shit's real. So you can hold on to that forever. Right. At like right around the same time. Right. So right. then doesn't that fuck with you as a kid? Because I didn't get the Jesus part after the Santa Claus went away. <laughs> well, that's the thing is you're so impressionable. You don't necessarily, yeah, uh, you don't necessarily, I mean, you just kind of go along with it. You assume, you kind of assume like, well, this has been so popular for so long, you know? <laughs> I mean, we didn't even mention WWE and learning that wrestle, wrestling was fake oh, either. Oh, yeah. The biggest, they whack you with that one just a couple years later, as soon as you've recovered from Santa Claus. That's true. You're like, what do you mean The Rock isn't yeah. really fighting, taking people down Stone Cold Avenue or, you know, Jabroni <laughs> Avenue, whatever. I'm mixing my, my wrestler. You here. are. Uh, <laughs> that was devastating for me in, in fifth grade. Uh, was, that was a real debate. You know, that was actually maybe our first debate, like yeah. <laughs> version of theological debates. It was like fourth and fifth grade boys being like, "Wrestling's real? No, yeah. it's not." Like, how can you? What do you mean it's not real? You see him do the moves. <laughs> Ryan Ryan Sickler had a had a story about how his dad told him like it's fake, and he's like, "Why? How is it fake?" And he goes, "Think about it. If someone threw you into a rope, would you come running back <laughs> at their fist?" And he's like, "No." He's like, "That's how you know it's fake." But it was like the first thing I ever watched as a kid that like made me cry. Mm-hmm. Like I was so involved in this soap opera every week that like I still remember like Jake the Snake was blinded by this dude's like perfume or whatever, mm. and he came out to the ring and he couldn't see anything and he got up on the ropes and the dude like ran out of the ring and then jake just got up and he grabbed the mic and he's like i can't see you but brother i can sure as hell smell you and i was like (laughs) oh god and i got i remember getting like really teary-eyed and crying as a as a kid watching this not Mm. like last week and then like going to school the next day and telling all the kids like did you guys watch jake the snake last night and they're like yeah it was amazing wouldn't that be an awesome religious story 
to have kids be like, did you hear the gospel about Matthew last night? And they're like, I know, it was amazing. It was incredible. He got him off the top rope with his blessing. (laughs) It was even better than Luke. I mean, I didn't think anything could surpass Luke. Right, cool hand Luke. (laughs) Yeah. No, that was... I don't know. I think, you know, as far as to why Christianity held on, uh, I guess, yeah, there's all the factors of being young and impressionable and also, like... um, it being so culturally baked in, like I was saying, um, but I, I, it is interesting that because I think due to the internet and freer access of information than ever, uh, a lot of us turned away from it. Um, yeah. my generation did at least and stopped believe like a lot of more than ever people my age and, um, you know, and younger have stopped believing it. I think because, they they we we have some intellectual honesty questions and problems like <laughs> you know being like i don't know if i believe in a, a magical event happening 2000 years ago just cuz a lot of people said it happened you know i think a lot of people struggle with that <clears throat> and that's why to me that's why to me like the belief aspect again doesn't really it's so beside the point to me yeah. like the belief of the who who exactly is jesus it's really important for a lot of people especially older generations that question is important like jesus is the literal son of god was you know <laughs> born of virgin mary that part is super important to a lot of people um and i guess because it makes it feel that much more special and it makes it yeah. because i mean let's be fair if that was true that'd be so insane that you would have to listen to him, right? I mean, if that was true, you'd be like, oh my God, clearly what he's saying is literally the word of God, you know? So to be fair, if it is true, I see what they're saying. But did he say it? What? Did Jesus say that I am, I am the literal son of God? Uh, he kind of dances around it, doesn't he? He says my father a lot. Right. He, he uses, he uses pretty tricky and evasive language to get out of Pharisees trying to catch him <laughs> in that exact thing. Um, I do think there are a handful of passages. I could be wrong. But I, I do think there are a handful of passages where he kind of explicitly states it, but it's also, again, you have to interpret it through the, the lens of what was each author of the each gospel Correct. trying to say and trying to argue for some argued as he was got some i can't remember all of which was which again well, i'm going to seminary <laughs> uh and that by the way that should be the ma- i have i need to do a massive caveat at the beginning of this episode being like i don't know what the fuck i'm talking about uh which i mean should be self-evident but i just need everybody else <laughs> it, sh- it is self-evident but it, it's important that other people know that i know it's self-evident <laughs> but i don't know what I'm i like that about. a lot uh but so like I, and I can't remember who is who, but like one of the author authors of one of the gospels is like his whole emphasis is that Jesus is God. He's a, he's a man. He's a God as a human, just like you and me. And he suffers with us. And that's the important theological lesson is okay. that God understands us because God appeared as a human, just like one of us and sacrificed a lot and knows what it means, knows what pain really feels like on a human level that's an important theological teaching in much of Christianity. Then there's other people. There's another, I think John maybe is this one. I can't remember. Uh, that talks about Jesus is, he presents Jesus as like this apocalyptic figure. Who's about to bring the second, the end of the world. Basically he thought 
and the disciples thought that Jesus was going to bring the end of the world within their lifetime. And that's why they stayed, that's why they didn't bother writing it down for a long time. And then once everybody started dying that was around Jesus's time, they're like, Oh my God, we better write this down. We are all dying here. Uh, we will forget it if we don't write it down. We're going to get lost in time. Um, and so that's when you, there's, that's why there's, yeah. So certain passages will be like Jesus's, yeah, this very, very nihilistic almost you know not not nihilistic but like the end is near and i'm gonna bring it uh my second coming will be you know basically a couple years from now so be ready for it and then they're like well it didn't happen and that's what makes it challenging to be like what did the historical jesus really say and that's why those questions to me they don't have as much an they they just don't have an impact on how do we actually manifest what I understand to be the love of God, what I understand to be the Holy spirit, but I do understand it through Jesus. When Jesus talks about loving your neighbor as yourself. And I do understand it. And and it is a useful context (laughs) for me when Jesus says things like, um, you know, you should leave all, you should, you know, leave behind your attachments and follow me, me being a more metaphorical follow the path of love. Correct. Uh, which is a challenging, challenging as fuck statement. Can I ask you a question? Yeah. How do you feel about Pascal's wager? Dude, I was actually, I was, something you said earlier made me, we were at the very beginning of the discussion, I was actually thinking about this. Um, I mean, Pascal's wager, for people who don't know, it's uh, Pascal was like, well, if you don't, it's better to believe than not believe because if you believe then you won't go to hell for sure. If you don't believe in it's not real, if you don't believe in it's real, you're going to hell. Right. If you believe in it's not real, no harm, no foul. It's not real. Doesn't matter. Uh, if you believe and it's real, then you're going to heaven. Now, everybody's problem with Pascal's wager is like you can't make yourself believe or not. Now, young Nima apparently says has no problem with Pascal's <laughs> wager if it's for a hot enough babe. Am I right? I. No, you know what I'm saying no, no, though. No, I'm yeah. joking. But no, I know. I'm here. I'm, so, what do I think about yeah, it? What are your What are your thoughts on it? Yeah, I mean, I kind of hold the conventional wisdom that I can't will myself to believing in the supernatural aspect of Jesus or not. I just either will or I won't over time. But the the wager is just accept. Je- That's all you need to do in Christianity is accept Jesus in your heart. Well, right, but that to people of pascal's time accepting jesus as like the son of god and like accepting a certain as a certain version of christ which is different than the the type of jesus that the the way i understand jesus so you have to accept him in a specific way i'm just saying when people when earlier christians were talking about accepting jesus yeah they meant accepting the idea that he is the son of god as a literal, you know, virgin birth, stuff like that. Like that stuff was all, imp- I mean, that stuff is still is important to a it's lot of Christians. It's all implied in the Jesus portion of the... Right, Jesus is the accept. Lord of Lords. Jesus is the Lord of the... All, yeah. He's the, the kingdom. Like there's a lot of like, you know, kingly type language and stuff. <laughs> and to me, it's like, except to me, I... I Again, maybe this is this is to, this definitely is heretical, uh, <laughs> but this is how I understand it. That's too. Maybe I'll uh, maybe I'll get my mind sorted out in some area. I don't know, uh, but you know, to me, it's not so much needing to believe that a man, a Jewish rabbi, mm-hmm. 
in the year 30 was a literal king for all time. It's accepting the idea that love is the supreme um, idea, the supreme thought, the supreme action. And love is all you need. Right. (laughs) To quote John Lennon. Right. To me, accepting that into my heart Mm -hmm. is what it means to be a Christian. Yeah, I, I guess... I guess growing up, there was there were a few people when I was a kid that were like, "Hey, come here and and read this passage about Jesus." And it, it's like usually in the back of the Bible, where like you find the the thing you're supposed to say the prayer. And so they tell me to say it and put my name in it, and then I would, and they're like, "Cool, you're saved now. Now your soul <laughs> is saved. You don't have to worry about it anymore." Mm-hmm. And I was like, "Great. Do I have to like clean it?" because like <laughs> i'm like 12 so do i is this like a forever thing if I live is it like a deposit box somewhere yeah. Yeah. do i have to like take this through a car wash every 10 years like i was i had such a catholic mentality on it where it was like but once a week i had to go tell something to a priest in a robe right otherwise like this shit's just gonna keep getting dirty and dirtier i i can't put my faith behind that to to be a one-time, once-and-done thing. Mm-hmm. You have people like Charles Darwin, where the stories are like, he was an atheist his whole life and, and disbelieved everything about Christianity and wrote the whole you know theory of evolution or, and all that stuff mm-hmm. on his deathbed, re- recounting, repenting, and asking Jesus for forgiveness mm-hmm. f- out of fear. That's not of love. That wasn't like right. I was touched. That was, I'm scared to shit that right, there's a right, hell right right and then there's this like philosophical question in my mind of like does he get in mm, yeah do you have that can you have that last minute like i'm gonna fuck shit up for so long and then like 10 seconds before i go right right well that goes into i don't i'm not living in fear of hell regardless um to me the idea of like choosing love to be the answer uh and the supreme you know lord of heaven and earth uh to me it's about it's far more real than i don't i don't know what happens after we die i don't know i don't know if there's a heaven i don't know if there's a hell uh but what makes me happy now is living by love what makes me truly fulfilled what makes me serve humanity better yeah in the time i am alive is living through love so the idea of whether heaven or hell are real is kind of beside the point um now but I'm not that s- is the that's the ultimate point this well if heaven and hell are real yeah then i'm like screwed but already <laughs> uh in so many different ways um but i just to me that's not the point that's what i'm saying my point of like to me the point of christianity is much more here and now versus what happens then yeah um i'm not saying so if that's what i was just, i don't know if you're concerned like oh is am i just believing in christ again because i'm afraid no no not you no, I'm, no yeah i'm not yeah it wasn't a you thing it was it's just one of these things of just like i there's such an acceptance of that's all you need to say that's that's all you need to do and then you're saved and that's the the whole theory behind pascal's wager isn't that you're gonna believe in it it's just that your your options are you accept jesus or you don't mm-hmm. and either there isn't a heaven, so then it doesn't make a difference what the fuck you do. Mm-hmm. If you accept him or not, it doesn't make a difference either way. And if there is a heaven, 
the only one that you're saved in is if you did accept him. Mm-hmm. So from a logical point of view, it makes sense to accept Jesus in that sure. mathematical equation. Accepting Jesus is the 100% valid way to go about it. Right. So me as an atheist, I got to go, can I believe in Jesus enough? Can I believe in God enough mm-hmm. to do that? What do you say? No, I can't. I <laughs> yeah, can't. I, I couldn't based on that wager either. <laughs> I can't will my... Me coming around on love and shit <laughs> isn't, isn't based on that belief at all. It's my experiences in my 20s yeah. living by impulses that were not love-based. There's a lot of my 20s that I, I was internally explicitly selfish explicitly like i gotta look out for me i gotta climb some ladders i gotta distance myself from people that are unpopular that i mean literally like machiavellian type shit was a part of my 20s part of my comedy attempt at a comedy career uh and part of my you know i mean that's not something i'm proud of at all and i feel but i there was and it was a fear-based it was totally a fear-based uh, and scarcity-based mindset um, because living in love, it requires, to use the term, a leap of faith. Mm-hmm. To me, again, there's so much awesome terminology and concepts in Christianity that we've so long associated with needing the leaps of faith needing to be, oh, it's a leap of, you just have to have a leap of faith to believe that Jesus is the son of God, you right. know, the, a son, virgin birth type stuff. To me, the leap of faith is living in love. To me, the leap of faith is I'm going to sacrifice without knowing if I'm going to get anything back. To me, the leap of faith is I'm going to be kind. I'm going to turn the other cheek, even though that guy might screw me because I don't know what code he lives by. You know, that to me, that is a very real leap of faith that is so much more practical and applicable to my life than like i'll take i'll take what pascal's leap of faith but you you're, know? you're you sound like an atheist right now do i yeah because the, i remember i saw a, a preacher one time on television and he was saying when there's when there's national disasters in the world Mm. We need to stop thinking like Christians and we need to start acting like atheists because mm. they don't sit there and say, I'll pray for you. Right. I'll go to church and I'll, we'll all have a, a prayer vigil for mm. you. Yeah. They go, what can I do to help? I'm going to send money. I'm going to send water. I'm going to send food. I'm going to send blankets. I'm going to come out there. I'm going to dig your rubble and yeah. I'm going to be there for you because no one else is going to do it. Yeah. And the same, in the same light, when I look at people and I look at all the different faiths and all the different religions and everybody's doing their own thing, it's all love to me. Yeah. And it's, there is no after this. Yeah. Like I am convinced that when we die, that is it, Jack, it is over. (laughs) Right. And my dad, I remember asking my dad and he said to me, I said, you really believe that when we die, it's, that's it. It's over finished. And he goes, I do but I really hope I'm wrong. <laughs> and I thought that was such a beautiful mentality. Mm-hmm. I hope I'm wrong, but if I'm wrong, then I have a whole nother world to contend with when mm-hmm. I get there and I have to discuss <laughs> my options and choices. Right, right. Well, I, I guess in that light, then I, yeah, I love that what you're saying with like, <laughs> think like a Christian, act, think like a stereotypical Christian and act like an atheist. Yeah. Um, 
and I do, I do know a lot of, I mean, Presbyterians, I mean, that's one, there's a lot of reasons why I like Presbyterians. And one of them is because they are pretty mission oriented. They are pretty like, we need to, you know, it's, you're not, we're not saved because we do good, but we are called to do good thing. We are called to break down oppression. We are called to help those in need, um, because of God loving everyone. Uh, but anyway, what I, I guess when I, when, and now I, at first when you were saying like, you sound like an atheist at first, I was a little taken aback. <laughs> uh, but I, I guess I take that as a compliment because I mean, coming from an atheist, right. Right. You saying that. Um, and I guess that's what one thing I, I yearn for and I hope Christianity can sl- continue to slide more and more towards in my lifetime is being something that if the love of Christ and Christ's teachings are truly universal, they will make sense to atheists. They will make sense to everybody. They should. And they should meet everybody where they at, regardless of the specifics of what they believe. Correct. And so I'll take that as a compliment. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, it was meant, it was meant this way. <laughs> I was like, fuck you, man. I'm not an atheist. <laughs> Although maybe some Christians. That's very Christian of you. Other Christians would probably say, like, no, you are an atheist, bro. <laughs> You're totally an atheist. That, that's, that's why I'm like, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a pescatarian. You know, being me, is, that's why the, the whole pescatarian thing is like, Christians don't like me. Atheists don't like me. Nobody likes me. I like the fact that there's a joke in there and I can't quite figure it out of like, I I'm a pescatarian and now a presbyterian. Oh right. And I don't I like I filled in the wrong oh, box. Oh yeah. Oh, it's it's teasing. It's very teasing how close it is. Yeah, I can't quite figure out that joke, but I I know you will. Um, thank you, man. We've <laughs> gone we've gone over an hour. Oh, okay. um, do you want to talk a little bit about your show? I mean, I did your yeah. show Breaker Broken. You did. You were awesome. Thank you, man. Well, I've had a lot of heartbreak. Uh, <laughs> it's kind of my thing. I felt like when I was first found out about this show, I'm like, oh, I was meant to do this show. <laughs> like this is in my wheelhouse. It's funny when you ask people. So the show is called breaker broken stories of the heart mm-hmm. and it started when uh my wife michelle and i were dating and then we broke up and uh she started going out with a bunch of people and going on like walking dates and making bowls and doing all that stuff and they all started sharing their heartbreak stories and uh they kind of motivated her to start her own show so she did and then we got back together and now we host it together and we, we talk about the, the journey that we're still on and it's amazing. It's the third Tuesday of every month mm-hmm. and it's currently at the Open Space Cafe and um, on, is it on Hollywood, I think? Uh, maybe. I, can't I could remember. be wrong. I, I have remember. no idea. It's right yeah. next to Cantor's Deli. Or Fairfax, I think. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. I don't know nothing about it. I think it is on Fairfax, yeah. <laughs> I grew up in Orange County. so like It's, it's near like, Melrose and Fairfax. I do know that. Yeah, yeah. that's that's good to know. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so it's a great show and it's uh, it's wonderful. It all talks about heartbreak, heartbreaking moments and uh, just it, it could be a breakup. It could be a divorce. It could be somebody dying. Um, some guy to- told a story about uh, his his dead cat and there wasn't a dry eye in the room everybody was just weeping well, we've and, all we've all had our heart broken <laughs> i mean who hasn't yeah that's the that's the other i'm so glad you said that it's, that's the other thing that happens is like the moth has like different uh subjects every every one and uh like different storytelling shows have like a main topic um but this is so deep 
that when people do when people want to do the show it's not like do i have one it's rather like which one do i want to tell first Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. because then i want to do it again and i want to tell another one and i want to do it again and Mm -hmm. like i even started thinking like i have I i was like i have this other story about this other girl and this other story about this other girl that brought and then like a buddy of mine who like i told that story one time of like a friend of mine who we were really close friends and then we stopped being friends because i was an asshole to him and then now like i haven't heard from him in in 17 years and Mm. it's crazy you know so like these like there's so many there's so much heartbreak in our lives yeah that uh it's cathartic you know you let it all out and uh it's it's a great show well if i could offer something too that um do you know jack cornfield he's a buddhist uh teacher and author uh one of my amazing another highly recommend alan watts and jack cornfield two very different people (laughs) uh but jack cornfield is uh he's alan is dead jack is still alive um and he has this he has a book um i can't remember which book i think it's after the ecstasy the laundry meaning like after the religious mountaintop experience or after this whatever epiphany your breakthrough and then you come back to normal reality (laughs) what do you do uh but he he talks about one of the um one of and he uh, through this buddhist lens primarily but he brings in all other faiths when talking about this stuff but like one of the paths to um awakening (laughs) is the gate of sadness is this gate of heartbreak it's because it is through you it's when you suffer a a really tough heartbreak yeah when you key into that you can really key into the suffering of the world because then you're like oh man i'm suffering but so it this feeling that i'm having is something that is so universal and it's not just about heartbreak over an ex or or just a pet or it could be the heartbreak of losing my house. Yeah. Or it could be the heartbreak of losing my career, you know, losing my social standing because I fucked up really bad <laughs> and it's coming out now and now, you know what I'm saying? There's so many different ways. We all suffer. In fact, another thing he argues is like, if you really meditate on it, everything we do is trying to alleviate suffering. Oh, I'm hungry. Let me alleviate that suffering. Yeah. I got a shit. Let me alleviate that <laughs> suffering. Uh, I I don't feel unique enough in the world. Let me do a podcast called Choose Your Own Religion. Right. You know? uh, whatever it is. This is so thank you everybody for helping alleviate my suffering. <laughs> uh, but so that's what I that's what I love about not that you have an explicit mission to your show, but that yeah. seems like the mission is like and that's what we're all keying into is that shared humanity. It is it, it's very interesting that you bring that up. Eastern philosophy is so different. And I call it a philosophy. Like, I think Western religion, Eastern philosophy. Mm. And I always told people the difference is this. In Western religion, if you are driving your car on the freeway and some guy cuts you off, the reason why you get upset at the person who cut you off, and I say guy because it's usually a guy because guys <laughs> drive like shit. <laughs> the reason why you get upset is because he scared you. Mm. He scared you and you were worried for yeah. a second about your life mm-hmm. and you got scared and then you reacted out of fear right. and you got angry at him for, for scaring you. Right. So, but Western religion yeah, is yeah. like, I'm going to yell at this guy and then I'm going to like repent later. <laughs> Whereas Buddhism will teach you that when you go to raise your hand to point at that guy or raise your hand to honk your horn, mm-hmm. that eventually you will recognize your hand going up. And you will stop the action. Yeah. It's internal. Right. And that mentality of like 
tapping into your own heartbreak to tap into the heartbreak of the world and be in touch with everybody in the world it's it's incredible there are times i whenever i see large cityscapes especially at night with all the little lights on and the little houses and stuff my first thought is every one of those houses there's a little family and every one of those families there's little secrets and there's little fights right and everyone is arguing about something or loving about something or mm-hmm. or discard someone's having financial hardship and not someone hundreds and thousands of people right in this little patch that i can see in this corner of this city yeah 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 and how small do your troubles seem mm. when you realize so many people are going through the same thing? Yeah, especially when you live in a city with light pollution, you can't see the stars. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> no, but I, that's so beautiful. That is really beautiful. And um, oh, I was going to add something to that. Oh, um, yeah, I, I've had the, a related thought I had was um, before. Uh, I'm an Enneagram type four, which means I, I suffer a lot of sadness and loneliness mm-hmm. sometimes easily. And uh, one time I was just so, I was feeling so lonely. Just one of the most classic, like, nobody loves me. Like, yeah. I'm, who who is really in my corner? Yeah, mom and dad are, but they don't count. <laughs> That's you right. Know? They uh, don't. Because they, they had to. They you have know? to. It's Nobody's picked me to legally, love me. Legally, right. Right. Um, <laughs> Which is also not always true if I'm like, well, there I've had some good loves in my life. Um, but I you know, anyway. Feeling super lonely. The most lonely when you're in loneliness, sometimes it's like it feels like every loneliness is the most lonely you've ever oh, felt. Yeah. You're just like, man. <laughs> and sometimes you can feel lonely within a relationship too. Sure. Sometimes you can be like, Man, this person that I thought was my person does not see me at all. Yeah. And that can be the most lonely feeling in the world um, when you know you're not in something good. But I was lonely and I realized that loneliness is such a universal feeling that if I just remember that loneliness is universal, then I'm literally not alone anymore. (laughs) It's impossible to be alone in my loneliness. That's interesting. Because everybody else who's currently lonely, there's a lot of people who are currently lonely we're with each other. I like that. You know? That's really uh, Taoist of you. I mean, I'm, <laughs> I'm into some Taoism. Hey, I've read Alan Watts, man. <laughs> I love that. Uh, I think that's cool. Thank you, man. Uh, when I, well, thank you for doing your show. And, uh, of course. That's why... Like, it's my, it's, I think it's my favorite storytelling show in LA for that reason. Oh, that's awesome. Because I... Boy. If I, got, I got some heartbreakers, <laughs> man. I like your show. Your show was uh, so much fun to do, and it was really interesting. I was telling my, my wife when I got home, I'm like, yeah, you know, it was a great room, and just the whole, everybody went up and told the story was like, hey, so I'm a Christian, and this is my, and then like some the next person would be like, so I'm Jewish, and here's my thing, uh-huh. and then the next person would be like, I'm I'm a Christian, and, and I used, or to, I used be to be a Christian, and yeah. then and then I got up and I was like, I don't believe in any of this. I'm a nothing. <laughs> yeah. I believe in nothing. And still it was like really warm and everybody was very sweet. Well, that's what I, that's kind of my, <laughs> that's what I see as like my ministry, right? Is like everybody realizing like, oh, you know what? All our weird stories about, like there's so much, com- so much we have in common. Yeah. Uh, Jewish summer camp is apparently oh, a lot God. like Hindu summer camp is a lot like, you know, every. That was such a cool story. All these other ones. But anyway, thank you, man. Thank, thank you so much you. for coming on. Thanks so much, Joe. Um, 
and uh, I can't wait to keep up with uh, with what what's going on. You're going to keep the podcast going while you're going through seminary. Got to keep the podcast going in some way. At least that. Yeah, definitely. Um, I would like to continue the show some wherever I go. It'll we'll see how that manifests itself. Um, I'll probably turn into like an annoying like inspirational quote type person on Facebook. <laughs> Already dreading that. Uh, preparing everybody now. You know that's awesome. Uh, but I'll be very moving and poignant and deep. <laughs> I love it. I I don't know. I, I, that's one thing I, I I could talk forever. But like that's one thing I. I would also like a little more wiggle room on being a little more, shall we say, earthy in my yeah. language. Uh, challenges. There, there's various challenges and various denominations on that. But anyway, <laughs> I'll, we'll keep it Dutch. Yeah. Uh, all right. Thanks, thanks for coming, man. man. This is great. And that's the show. Once again, thank you to Nima for coming out. Thank you for listening. Go to choosewrongreligion.com for old episodes. Go to the Facebook page for the live events. Next one's October 7th. The one after that's November 4th. Always the first Sunday of every month. Thank you for being who you are. I love you. Jamaste. I'm Max Lasser, the host of The Calories, a three-episode podcast miniseries about making weight loss easier. After I lost 100 pounds by calorie counting in 2015, I started to realize why the way I was doing it before, just eating healthy and exercising, wasn't working for me. The podcast features experts from Mount Sinai Hospital, Mayo Clinic, and more. And you can check it out October 1st from Campfire Media on Apple Podcasts or wherever podcasts are found. Campfire.